Hey everyone, this is Dr. Jimmy and Dr. Tori, and this is Let's Talk, a place where we hope to come together and just have conversations about whatever we need to talk about so we can find a little bit of unity in our humanity. Unity in our humanity. That is a good way to look at this because we are all human, although we may not always act like it. Very true. Sometimes it seems like our conversations are, are directed at people rather than with people. Right. And while we realize that we have a problem with unconscious bias, we're going to try to support some conscious humanity. That sounds like a good plan to me. So since uh, people are going to listen to this and don't know anything about us, let's use this first episode to introduce ourselves and ask each other some questions that we may already know the answers to about each other, but others won't. And we might actually learn something about each other in the process. Sure. All right. So So, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, so Jimmy, go ahead and introduce yourself. (laughs) Okay. I am Dr. Jimmy Turner. I am uh, 38 years old. Uh, For those of you who will only listen to this, I'm the white guy on the show here. I am born and raised and still live in the real South, uh, which is Tennessee. That gasp you'll understand in just a minute. I'm, I'm actually from a mixed bag of parents. Uh, my dad was from Oak Ridge, Tennessee, which is a, a little town just outside Knoxville. But my mom's from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So definitely not Southern or anything about that. In, in the midst of uh, that, I spent about half my growing up years in the Oak Ridge area, and then the other half where I am now, which is Chattanooga, Tennessee. And for the most part, my entire life has been, uh, if not here in Tennessee, at least here in the South, between Tennessee, North Carolina, and Alabama. I'm a Marine Corps veteran. I served in uh, 2002 to 2006, so I was deployed in Iraq in 2003 uh, for the invasion, uh, Operation Iraqi Freedom. And... Came home after that, was out of the Marine Corps at the end of uh, that contract with the medical separation. And, oh yeah, educationally, uh, I'm a high school dropout. So it's, uh, that'll be a fun story to get into later, how you go from being a high school dropout to, to now being Dr. Jimmy. Uh, it's a real degree. It's an accredited degree. It's not something just made up or some uh, honorary title that somebody gave me or something I'm uh, just trying to do for some marketing ploy. Uh, I actually didn't go to college until I was about 30 and then worked my way up through my PhD there. And I've got going on 20 years of of marriage uh, this September and uh, two boys to go with that, one who's grown and out of the house and engaged to be married next year and one who uh, thinks he's grown and should be out of the house but still has a couple (laughs) more years before he can move on. That's great, Jimmy. That's great. And, you know, even though I know your story, listening to it, it always sends, you know, chills up my spine. So for our audience, I'm Dr. Tori Corbin. I am like Jimmy, a PhD, real degree, accredited, all of that good stuff. Like Jimmy, even though he may disagree, I live in the South. I live in Virginia. There's some there's some debate about whether or not that's the actual South or whether it's the Mid-Atlantic. We'll get into that discussion later. I am married and um, part of a blended family. Together we have seven children and something like five grandchildren. Plus, we also have several adopted children. That's for another. That's for another discussion. My background is is that I am the daughter of a man from Brooklyn and a lady from Harlem. My dad was in the Navy. He's 30 years retired. He has since passed. So we grew up as a military family on bases all around the United States. I was privately educated. I was blessed with being able to go to private school and started off at college, did not finish college immediately, and went back between 
the year 2000 when I graduated with my bachelor's and 2019, I got my bachelor's, I got my master's, I went to law school and eventually got my PhD. A lot of education there. Here we are. And but what probably the most exciting part of my life is the fact that I have met so many incredible people. That has been the thing that has enriched my life probably more than my education is all the interesting folks. And you're going to get to hear about a lot of them here. I love it. You mentioned your, your private school education. Yes. I'm, I'm a public school brat. Uh, mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll blame public schools for my dropout. No, we won't. That was all no, my fault. That'll be another story for another time. Right. But it, it is interesting though. And I'm going to completely stereotype when I say this, I imagine most people would not have expected that you, the black woman, would be the one with the private education and me, the white guy, would have been the public school, high school dropout. Exactly. I mean, and these are one of the many things that we're going to explore because you'd be surprised how quickly your stereotypes kind of fall away. Now, granted, stereotypes do have some basis in truth. We're not going to act like it's not the case. But I think what's even more incredible was the fact that how you and I, Jimmy, bonded over a week at our PhD residency, just bonded, not even without knowing each other's background. We simply resonated and have continued to do so. Yeah. And that was a fun week, especially that that cookout that we had at the Dean's house. That was a lot of fun. (laughs) And we'll tell you about that too. (laughs) No doubt about it. So, okay, let's, let's figure out how stereotypical or unstereotypical we are uh, on some of these introductory things. So tell us a little bit about your, I wouldn't say political affiliation, but just kind of how you view things that tend to be political issues. Okay. So I come at this from the point of view that I am, I, I guess I would be considered a liberal, but at the same time, there are a lot of things that maybe do not exactly jive with the liberal agenda. I believe that we should take care of those who are less fortunate because I feel like a a, a society is only as strong as its weakest link. I feel like, you know, healthcare is a right. It's not a privilege. But at the same time, I also believe that you need to work unless there is a good reason that you cannot work. And mind you, a good reason that you cannot work is that perhaps you cannot find childcare. But unless you have a really good reason, you need to be out here working. I understand the idea behind welfare. I have been fortunate that I have never needed welfare. It is comforting to know that welfare is there. But I would say that if you are a welfare recipient and you are able-bodied, then you need to be doing something to return to society. That may not be a very popular view among some liberals, but that's how I believe. (laughs) To say the least. (laughs) So, you know, that's where I fall. I tend to vote. I am an issue kind of voter. Um, If there is something that I feel strongly about and the candidate who is backing that will more than likely get my vote. Dare I say that there have been in the past where I have perhaps voted a Republican in office. Oh, my. (laughs) Not in the last presidential election. Let me be very clear about that. But, I mean, it is a question of the things that are important to me. That's where I align myself. While I go to a non-denominational Christian church, I would not consider myself part of the religious agenda or anything like that, or even the evangelical Christian movement, as some people might think. I don't belong to a huge black church, which also is kind of stereotypical. So that's where I find fall political. What about you, Jim? Okay, so I'm confused. That's, okay. that's how I can describe myself uh, when it comes to political things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and here's why. 
on on one hand, I believe in us being fiscally conservative uh, in our government. At the same time, I also have an expectation that that government is going to step in where the private sector does not. And that might mean having to, to spend more in an area than I'm comfortable with my government spending. I'm not sure there's ever a happy place for me when it comes right. to government spending. On social issues, I have mixed responses. On one hand, there, there are certain things that you would say are, are 100% conservative values and things that I would hold dear. And some of that's because of growing up in the deep South, sort of, and, mm-hmm. and having the environment that I grew up around and this culture yeah. that is the deep South and those, uh, those conservative values that uh, really take over in, in this culture. Uh, but then the other side of it is part of me just says, leave people alone. If it doesn't affect you, then why are you worrying about it? Let's recognize where religious things are handled in a religious context and civil things are handled in a civil context. And while they might look the same, like if you were to take marriage, for instance, if if the, the church that you go to says marriage is between a man and a woman, then in your church, just marry men to women. Okay. Absolutely. And if the civil authorities say that we will legally recognize uh, this union for IRS uh, tax purposes and inheritance purposes, that this is a legally binding union that we're going to also call marriage. Okay, so the civil authorities have said that. And that doesn't mean that my church has to change what it does or your church Absolutely. has to change what it does. It just means that the civil authorities have said for these purposes, we're going to borrow this word because it's the best one we've got. Right. And we're going to do that. Again, so it's it's it just puts me in a very confusing spot uh, politically. I want to, I want to feel like I belong to something. So I want to be able to say I'm this or I'm that or I support this party, but I really can't because I'm all over the place. Right. And so I tend to do like you do, and I vote based on the issues that that particular candidate is mm-hmm. making a stance on where I resonate with them regardless of the party. So I have voted for Republicans. I voted for Democrats. I have voted for independents and I vote in every election that I can because uh, I believe that's important. And I know you think that's important. And that's something that we want everyone, no matter what, even if you can't have a conversation with your neighbor, at least go vote. Uh, go even, even if just to counteract their, their vote. <laughs> <laughs> and that, and that's really important here is, um, you know, as we've all been told, if you don't vote, you can't complain. You just you don't, you know, you just can't. You don't have no leg to stand on. But you, you brought up something really interesting, if I may. Um, okay. There was a conversation recently about the fact that the current administration is trying to get all of the provisions of the ACA in the time of a pandemic. I find that difficult to deal with. I believe that, once again, that health care is just a human right and we're in the middle of a pandemic, and you don't want to open up the window so that people can get health insurance when that is critical. The other part of this that perhaps people are not realizing is the impact the pandemic has had on the medical community outside of providing care. I was reading a study recently that talked about, you know, there were concerns prior to the pandemic about people overutilizing emergency room visits because they didn't have health insurance. So, you know, what would be maybe a $100 office visit was now a $1,500 ER visit. 
well, because of the pandemic and the fact that people were scared to go to the emergency room, those, those, those visits have dropped to zero. No one is going to the emergency room. But the other kind of unintended consequence is that people also are not visiting their family physicians. Doctors are, you know, doctors and doctors' practices are going bankrupt because folks without insurance aren't going to see the doctor and they're not going to the emergency room. And I don't think that in terms of downstream effects that maybe the administration thought about the fact that by not opening up those windows for people to enroll as they lost their health insurance as a result of the pandemic, that they were inadvertently going to drive doctors out of business and into bankruptcy, as well as other small business owners. So I think that sometimes we don't we are so against the thing because I know that many people disagree with the Affordable Care Act, but those are the very same people who are now in need of that insurance. And because they didn't think it was a right for other people, it's no longer a right for them. You know, that's an interesting thing to bring up. I like some parts of the ACA and others, which I think is kind of the, the overall general consensus. Mm-hmm. Some people were just 100% against it and others 100% for it. But yeah, it's um, never perfect. I think that healthcare reform is needed. And I Mm -hmm. think that what the Obama administration did was at least push the conversation to have to happen. I was very disappointed that Republicans didn't come back with something better Better. when they took control of the House and the Senate and had the same opportunity that Mm -hmm. Obama had in his first two years in office, Mm -hmm. where they could just shove things through, which they did a few things, but they had the opportunity to just shove things through to, to make it whatever they wanted. And it was like, they never, I have to wonder if they ever expected that they were going to really have control of the government again, because they didn't have an agreed upon plan. And then they were all shuffling to make these competing plans and nobody could agree on it. So nothing went through. And that's why we're in the situation we're in now right. because they where the Obama administration put together a plan that made sure that people were going to have insurance, but as a result, drove up costs and did some other things. The Republicans had a great opportunity to bring together a plan that would have protected the business owner that could have controlled the the costs a little better, that could have still made sure people had insurance, that could have expanded Medicare coverage, that that could have done so much. There was so much opportunity they just didn't take advantage of. And that's one of my disappointments. Uh, and what they did. And to be where we are now, it's it's devastating because, mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of people are going without. Um, I know several people who work in the healthcare industry and are, are saying or talking about the fact that their emergency rooms are empty, their doctor's offices are empty uh, for that very reason. Everybody's afraid to come or mm-hmm. they're, they're starting to lose their insurance or they're, they're still waiting to get on their, their state insurance plan where they've right. been laid off or lost their job everybody's looking to their government leaders for answers and nobody's bringing any to the table. Right. I mean, I agree that, you know, ACA was not perfect. It was, it was very far from perfect. It was supposed to be the first step. And surprising that I'm saying this, but I too look forward to the Republicans coming into office and giving a better solution. I mean, I, I hate to say that. I mean, it pains me to say that, that in many ways, you know, Republicans, traditionally had done a good job at legislating things of this nature. Not that they liked entitlement programs, but they tended to tighten them up in a way that made them work. It just happens that way. 
Instead, they spent two years gutting the whole policy. So now, you know, not only it doesn't work, many of the people who voted the current administration into office are the very people who are now suffering because they can't get the care that they need. And like I said, you know, access, you know, to health care is a right. I believe it's an inalienable right. And right now, folks are not being able to exercise their rights. Well, let's let's talk about that for a second. Would you also say that housing is a right? Yes, I would. Would you say that food is a right? Absolutely. Okay. But you got to pay for your house. You got to yes. pay for your food. Yes, absolutely. Yes. So we got to pay for health care. But did I not say in the beginning that even that people who would receive some sort of public assistance needed to do some kind of work to you receive did. that? You I did. Mean, I, I, you know, we always think of work in terms of going someplace, getting a paycheck, depositing it in the bank. But there are lots of different kinds of work. And not to bore people with the history lesson, but I can, I have, <laughs> we all know about the New Deal. And we know about, you know, the various work efforts that were out there. You know, many of the public institutions that we enjoy to this day were built by, you know, the WPA and all of those institutions. They had them fixing roads, laying track. They had them cleaning. They had them building bridges. I mean, there are so many problems infrastructurally in this country that, and, and I know we always get into this discussion about, oh, but that's like chain gangs. Not if you're paying folks. <laughs> so if you have to, I don't know, work at a daycare center four days a week in order to receive public assistance so that folks who are working can go to work, I, I don't think that's such a terrible thing. I, I just don't. Okay, good. Good. I because mean, I, I think one of the things that gets lost in this conversation about these basic human rights is it, it, they're great talking points and they're great for, for 140 characters on Twitter, but we have to talk through okay, these other things that are rights. I have a right according to the constitution to bear arms, but if I want a gun, I still got to go pay for it. Right. Uh, I have a right to uh, read the newspaper, but the newspaper is still going to charge me a dollar to go buy it from the stand. Where can uh, you get a paper for a dollar from a stand these days? Well, in the real South, we get to do that. Oh, no, you didn't. You're going to pay for that one. You're going to pay for that one. Well, okay. I already paid for the newspaper, so it's okay. 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 <laughs> I'm broke now. <laughs> But, you know, it's like, I want us to have these things as rights. As, as a veteran who has a, a disability rating, I get my health care through the VA providers. Right. Now, that doesn't necessarily leave me to only going to a VA clinic to get help. Right. If the VA can't get me in quick enough, um, they will send me to a doctor out in town. Which is and good. so it's just the same as if I had private insurance. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to go see the doctor. I'm going to set an appointment. I'm going to do all the same things that everyone else does. Right. You know, the, the only difference being that um, it's taxpayer dollars that are paying for it. And so I'm grateful to, uh, you know, everyone who pays their taxes, including myself, because I mm -hmm. also pay taxes Be because of these things service connected uh, that I have that are disabling. I'm able to get health care that way. And that's great. It's a great system. It's a, a right that I've been handed. And we can talk about the costs that I had to pay or, or pay for that another time, maybe. It's, it's all of these things that we call rights. Um, I heard Phil Bredesen, former governor of Tennessee, when he was running for state Senate during the last election cycle, was talking about 
the internet as a basic utility and therefore mm. a right that should be available to everybody and should be protected the same way that we protect power and water during right. certain temperatures or, you know, with pandemics going on, power companies not allowed to turn the power off on people or water companies not allowed to do that, even if they're delinquent because of things like this. And he was comparing the internet as being something like that. Again, great. Yes, these things, I, I believe we should consider to a degree a right. And maybe the problem is we're using the wrong word. Um, I, I don't know if a right is the correct word to use in that case, because um, we also talk about a right to life. Right. But I still have to do certain things to sustain my life uh, if, exactly. I, if I want to have that. So um, I, I think that's something where there's going to be a lot of opportunity for us to talk about that going forward. And I'm not sure what the solution is, but it's, we have to get a good understanding of what we mean when we use these words. I agree. I agree. I think that for, to think through it in terms of you as a person and what would you expect and what are like the minimal viable requirements for life, I can't imagine what it would be like to, you know, be homeless. I could, I don't know what it's like to be hungry. I don't know what it's, well, I have been out of work, but always going to get another job. So I don't know what it's like to have those particular stresses. It's just not a part of the makeup that I've had. However, that does not prevent me from empathizing with people who are going through that. I do, however, feel that for those of us who can and who are able, we, we have a responsibility. There seems to be some sort of social contract in my mind that we have with other human beings to make sure that they're okay. And maybe that's naivete. Maybe it is my spiritual grounding, but I feel strongly that you just don't leave people out there. You just don't let people suffer if there is anything that you can do about it. The reality is in, in our country, what is it? The top 3% have 90% of the wealth in this country. That's insane when you think about it. It really is insane. And I mean, you know, People are entitled to make a living and earn and live comfortably and spend their money however they see fit, but they don't have the right to do it at the expense of other people. And that probably is the crux of my, um, you know, confusion with why we don't do more to help people. Like I said, I don't, I don't think that we should be just handing out money and saying, hey, do whatever. I well, if you start doing things. that, let me know. I'll be the first one in line. Who are you telling? Because I would love to just sit and do nothing. <laughs> but you're part of that 3%, aren't you? Uh, I wish. I wish. <laughs> somebody needs to, if I am, somebody needs to let me know because that's not how it feels, especially not with my student loan debt. It doesn't feel that way. <laughs> oh, God, let's not bring that up. Yeah, yeah we'll have an, well, it's a whole nother discussion. But I mean, you know, just so, prime example, we both have student loans. We're both paying on our student loans because that is the that is the agreement that we made. Do I enjoy paying that money? No, I do not. It hurts me deeply, but I have benefited from the from getting the education. And so because I made that contract, I will continue to pay my student loans. Those are three expensive little letters, aren't they? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Okay, so let's let's back up for a second, because I think a lot of uh, what we're talking about goes into something that we both hit on a little bit. You went into a little bit more of it, um, but our religious heritages, where we come from when we're talking right. about things, 
in, in that religious uh, idea. Now, so, so you mentioned yourself being in this non-denominational, which um, w- would say Protestant as in not Catholic, not Catholic um, yeah. you know, sort of a, a religion. So just, just expand on that a little bit more, just so that we have an idea of, I mean, we don't need a theological treatise from you. Oh, but... believe me, you, you won't get one. Um, <laughs> you know, I, you know, I am a spiritual person. Do we attend church every Sunday? No, we do not. Um, but, you know, we have deep-seated spiritual beliefs that are Christian beliefs, but our Christ, you know, is a loving Christ. And our Christ would let immigrants into the country. Our Christ would feed people. Our Christ would clothe people. Our Christ would house people. Our Christ does not discriminate because you may be in a profession that other people find unpalatable. My Christ hung out with thieves and prostitutes. That's my Christ. And if he wasn't going to judge, neither am I. I think I read about him in a book somewhere. I think you might have read about him in a book somewhere. Those, those are my beliefs, but those are my beliefs. And I don't go around hitting other people over the head with my beliefs because just like we were talking about same-sex marriage, that has no impact on me whatsoever. I mean, it doesn't dilute my marriage. So what is the real concern there? I, I have no concern. But those are my beliefs. Now, they're not necessarily the beliefs of the generation ahead of me, of my mother and my grandparents. They probably had more very strict and solidified beliefs. But this is where I sit. And that's the prism through which I look at the world. That's awesome. I'll follow that up by saying that <clears throat> I, I am a Roman Catholic. I haven't always been a Roman Catholic. Um, I, I grew up in uh, Protestant churches, uh, Baptists, that sort of a, a tradition mm-hmm. mostly. And then I was... Um, I was actually a Baptist minister as an adult, mm-hmm. and uh, well, you and I went to a school that, that mm-hmm. came from a Baptist heritage, yeah. and uh, while I was in a Baptist seminary, an event occurred that actually sent me on the road to Rome. We'll talk about that another time. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's incredible that how people trigger things in you that you never, it, it, you never thought you would get there. When I went to undergraduate, I went to Ohio Dominican College, Catholic school run by the Dominican Sisters of Peace. And let me just say this, shout out to all the nuns because they're the ultimate feminists. You decided you weren't going to marry any man, you were going to marry God. (laughs) I'm saying that's feminism at its highest point. That was an empowering experience. Um, I was a young mother uh, trying to get my education because of circumstances that I'm not going to go into. You know, I was toting around my kids while I was going to school on Saturday morning. And rather than them say, oh, you know, you can't bring your kids to campus, they were very supportive. And I was able to graduate. It was the most loving experience that I think that I could have ever had. Yeah, those nuns were hard on us, but they have left an indelible imprint on me as far as who I am as a woman, as a strong woman, and being able to to deal with just about anything that happened and to seek my spiritual center when things get off kilter. So shout out to the nuns. You do good work. But the funny thing was, is that I then went to a school that was found by, founded by Lutherans for law school, then turned around and went back to the Catholics for my master's because I went to Marymount. Shout out to them as well. And so then I ended up at a Southern Bible College 
for my PhD. And it's just a very, it's just very strange how, you know, spirituality and um, formalized religion has paid a part in my education. It's just, you know, if I sat and thought about it, I go, that was probably intentional. It's funny how uh, all those things come together to form who we are. Okay. Things we don't even realize at the time are going to be so impactful. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, absolutely. Well, Dr. Jimmy, it looks like we're coming up on our half an hour. I was just starting to realize the same thing. I'm, I'm glad to know that um, y'all have accurate clocks up there in the north. Yes, Dr. Jimmy. We're not using sundials here. Well, Dr. Tori, thanks so much. I hope everybody comes back and listens some more. Um, in, in a world of, of nightly protests, I think we're on like week three of yep. continuous protests. I know at least down here in, in Chattanooga, um, uh, you know, with things like Black Lives Matter um, that, that has been sparked up recently because of, of Aubrey Ahmad and George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and, and some of these others, um, you, you know, there's a lot of conversations that we can have. And oh, a lot that we're going to have. Absolutely. So uh, I look forward to our next one, figuring out what that's going to be and, yeah. and then seeing what other people want us to talk about as well. Sure, because we're open to suggestions. Absolutely. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of Let's Talk. And don't forget to get out and vote. Definitely.